This morning, I've entitled this message this morning, Spiritual Tension. Tension in our lives is usually something we avoid. We'll go around it or we'll deliberately or aggressively attack it. Tension in our lives is something that usually produces stress and bothers us. But biblical tension, on the other hand, is something that is actually good. Biblical tension actually keeps things in balance. Tension on our fences keeps our animals in. So tension can be a good thing. Have you ever read a passage of Scripture and thought, well, that sounds like it's in direct contrast to something else I've read? I'm going to give you examples this morning in an attempt to train us all to look out for these occurrences and embrace them instead of avoiding the tension in the Word. I believe that this very tension when observed through the lenses of the Holy Spirit, actually reveals the mystery of God. Now let me open with Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. It says, Now I rejoice in what I am, suff- I, I am suffering for you, and I fill up my, in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of His body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission of God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul explains that it is this mystery that God has disclosed to the Lord's people, and he is strenuously contending for it. Sounds to me like tension's going on here. Ultimately, that we are presented to Christ mature. That's the ultimate goal of this. That's the ultimate goal of even this tension, I believe, that's in the Word of God. I'm going to give you some examples this morning. Remember in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus tells us, Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then just a little while later, in contrast, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother, or father and mother, and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own wife, such a person, cannot be my disciple. It seems as though it's almost like he's saying, well, what is he saying? Is is he talking out of both sides of his mouth? What is it? I believe spiraled through the Word of God is this difficulty. It is a design to sift us. It's a design to bring us into either a place where we we fully understand who He is. That's why He gives us this tension. Biblical tension is the sifter or the fence to guard us against error. Pastor Steve Weaver, he's a historian and pastor, he says this, that one of the most alarming trends in contemporary evangelicalism is the seemingly inability for Christian pastors, teachers, leaders to be able to hold biblical truths in tension. As a pastor or historian, I believe this is a symptom of our generation's failure to know and learn from the past. Almost every theological error in the past or present has, at its core, been a failure to recognize and affirm tension in the biblical teaching on a particular issue. I believe it is this tension that I'm talking about this morning 
that gives us this place where we can find balance and we will actually find the mystery of God. Our tendency is always to affirm one thing over the other. We'll learn something new and we'll, then that's got to be the truth and we'll dismiss this other area. Either one pulling in a d- direction as we see in our, even in our country. We see ourselves pulling ourselves apart because we either have to say we're on this side or we're on this side. There's no middle anymore. I have a couple questions this morning that all kind of line up with this. Is Jesus human or is he divine? Is God one or is he three? Was the Bible written by human authors or by God? Is God sovereign or are human beings free? Are we sanctified by faith or works? Is the kingdom of God future or present? To all these this morning, I answer yes. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. In fact, God is one, yet eternally exists as three distinct persons. God is totally sovereign, yet He gives us the free choice of our will to do as we please. We are sanctified by our faith, and our works are proof that that faith is alive. God's kingdom has come. Yes, it's now, it's here, yet its future is coming. And I'll throw in another one in there. Is it word or is it spirit? It's both. It's 100% word and it's 100% spirit. This morning, if I could have my demonstrators come, Chris and Gavin. The idea of holding things in tension this morning can be demonstrated. As we see these two guys pulling equally, the item will rise And it's actually held in place as long as we keep that equal tension. This is the idea. This is the idea that we're talking about right here. It actually suspends it. See, when we, when we don't, we don't pull one way or the other, but we keep that perfect tension. What happens is we're able to suspend in the middle what's going on. And it's like the Word of God. The Word of God is held in tension as we see these left and these right and these far reaching things. But if one tries to pull to the other side, eventually what happens is this. And that's what happens in our lives. That's what happens with the Word of God. When it's out of tension, or when one tries to pull harder than the other, or one wants to let go and go the other direction. As you go through the Word of God, you're going to come across things that appear to be in conflict or in contradiction. But don't hold new things higher, and don't elevate the old things supreme to compensate for it. Two words this morning I want you to be familiar with are this. The first one is a paradox is when two apparently contradictory things are, in fact, both true. The second thing is a mystery, is something that is difficult or it's impossible to explain. No matter how much we see that in Scripture there seems to be these contrary places, I want you to understand that it's a paradox. They're both true. How can I have this and I can have this? How can he tell us to love and then on the same side, he says, I tell you to hate. He's saying because in relationship, he's giving us these examples of how this looks. To resolve these tensions, I want you to know that the Bible is in complete harmony with one another. And even when we can't understand it, we must affirm what Scripture teaches. On some doctrines... We may honestly have to throw our hands in the air and acknowledge the mystery in the Scripture and say, I don't know. 
We were laughing about that because Francis Chan, a couple weeks ago, he said that in his scripture. Then when it's all said and done, he goes, sometimes we just don't know. And it's okay. God doesn't, he's not looking down at us going, I need you to know every answer. What he's saying is there's times in our lives where the mystery of God is something just that. And let it be that and not have to be, I have to define it. I have to have the answer. This is the message that I'm giving you this morning is like even like the tension found of God's love. It's one of the most profound theological problems. God's love and how does it harmonize with His other attributes? Most notably, His justice and His wrath. Does one override the other? You would think so in the church today. You would think that love overrides everything. But God declared this tension concisely when he was on the mountain with Moses at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 34. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. See how he starts. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Some of us today, we're living in the midst of generational sins that we have to pay for. But how didn't do it? I understand that, but, but this part of, it's part of the Word of God. Those things pass down on us. We're seeing it even in our country. The sins that our forefathers, the sins that we're doing today are, are passed down to us. It is perilous to assume that God's love gives us a, a license to sin. But God's love must coexist with His judgment and His righteous indignation at things that are wicked. For them to coexist together is exactly what I'm talking about today. That tension. Held in tension is God's love versus God's justice and wrath. One does not triumph the other. However, today we've placed love on the pedestal because it's something we like. It feels good. But it doesn't cancel out the other attributes of God. It's even like us as parents. Just because we love our children doesn't mean we don't discipline them. Doesn't mean that we don't bring punishment. When held in perfect tension and through the eyes of God's, through the Holy Spirit's lenses, we can see a picture of who God truly is. Another example is this in Romans chapter 3. It says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. God saw this. God found no one that was righteous, found no one that could do good. And, and what He did, what His attention was, He gave His Son. It demands an exact, the, His justice demanded that He had to do something. So He did, He demonstrated His righteousness at the present time so that we, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. He said, I'll do it myself. They won't, if they're not going to look to me, I'll make a way for them. I'll enable them. I'll bring them to me. I'll send my, I'll send my son to, be, to die for them because they won't be able to do it on their own. God is a loving God, but it doesn't mean that He looks the other way when we sin. There are consequences to our sin. If we can get this biblical tension this morning, find and resolve it, we can actually see within it the mystery of God. Our human minds like to make things simple, but often it leads us outside the artificial security of the simplicity of God's Word. Just accepting it as, it as He says it. 
What we find is not a contradiction, but a deeper root that feeds both truths. So the first thing is this tension reveals true gold. Letting all the Bible speak and go dig underneath all the tensions and we'll find this glorious and rich and helpful place where God says, I, I'm, I'm here in the midst of this. When you see this tension, you're seeing who I am. You're seeing the, the, the wholeness of me. My conclusion this morning is that God's will has two meanings. On one hand, God has absolute control over everything. But on the other side, God says, I give you the freedom to choose. We look to the Holy Spirit. We look through the lens of the Holy Spirit. And we can discover this mystery of God. There will always be temptation to move one way or the other. But to guard our hearts, if we let this tension stay, we'll actually find ourselves in the right place with God. Where there seems to be conflict, true gold is found in the mystery one of these tensions is the idea of suffering. It appears that God desires to see us prosper. He says, if you tithe and you do these things, you're going to prosper. He does, but in the, on the other side of that, we see that if you're a disciple of Christ, you're promised to suffer. So both of them are yes. God wants to prosper us. Yes. God wants to see us suffer at times. Yes. Experiencing this tension, Jesus talked about it. Do you not see the tension even in this when you see this experiencing tension I'm talking about this morning? In Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's tension there. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And then with all of this, then you have this new tension that Paul brings in in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. He says, rejoice always. See, the wheel works because we're living in tension, suspended in tension, and growing in tension. I've called this the, the thriving intention. The wheel describes it because held on this wheel is Tension. But the wheel can only move and only work when that tension is just right, when it's complete. Paul said it like this, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Do you see the tension in his words? All this pressure, but he says, Listen, I've given you a way to be able to stand up in the midst of it. Don't. You're not going to be in despair, even though all these things are around you. You're not going to be destroyed. Can you see the tension in what Paul is saying here? See, I've camped in this place of tension. I think about it because I constantly preach this message. I've obtained Christ, yet I'm ever reaching for more. This sums up this, this Christian experience. Living in this tension. The wheel, I think, is the best explanation because if there's no tension, it won't, it won't be round. It won't stay in the round. But you have that hub that centerpiece, which is Christ. And that wheel can only move, and we can only continue to grow, and we can only continue to move forward because of that tension. I find myself suspended in this place. I find myself, if I've truly embraced the tension, I'll find myself not getting off and on wild doctrines. If it's sadness today, He'll bring a fuller sense of joy. If it's anxiety... He'll bring peace. If it's heartbreak, 
He'll bring healing. He is the center of our tension. Christ must be the center exclusively. That He loves us that much. To be a true disciple of Christ means that I display and I live out loud this tension. I'm not talking about people seeing the tension where they see us all intense, which most of the time that's what they see of Christians. We live in this place of tenseness. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where when they see us, they see both sides of it. They see that we're in difficulty. But on the other side, they see the joy of the Lord. In the midst of it, all this chaos, they see that we have this peace that passes understanding. See, we don't demonstrate this living out loud, this tension that I'm talking about. As I walk out this gospel, I'm talking about us living out this tension. In 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul says, I become all things to all people so that by, by all possible means I might save some. There's tension even there. There's tension in that. I next called the next one holy tension. I can walk in this holiness without being a Pharisee. I can walk in holiness and be a friend of the sinner. I can walk in holiness without judging all those around me. But if I've judged myself correctly, the Bible says that I am no longer under judgment because I've judged myself correctly. And then conclusional tension. At face value, this makes no sense. But with God, He makes all things possible. He says in James 1, 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That's tension. It doesn't even make sense. Okay, so I'm supposed to love this. I'm supposed to consider it joy when I'm in the midst of this. How many of us do that? See, I I was going through this week and the difficulties and the trials even that I've been in. I'm like, oh Lord, and I'm thinking to myself, these are just temporary afflictions. They are so minute in comparison to what I could be going through, but yet I bog down so easily. And as Chris likes to say, spin my wheels. My wife started using it this week. She said, spinning your wheels. I'm like, where did you get that from? Chris. Some that say this morning, is there tension between science and the Bible? I don't believe there is. Because many things that scientists have said to be true have actually changed. We at one time thought the world was flat. Well, you know that's not true. There are many things even today that are said by science that say, oh, that disproves this. But the reality is, is those things even in some day will probably come to pass that they weren't even true. I don't believe that science even holds the same value as the Word of God. I don't place science in tension with the Word of God. These two do not have to pull against each other because God's Word is authoritative. It is internally consistent. It is self-sufficient. It is infallible. It is self-evident. I needed to look that one up. Not needing to be demonstrated or explained. It's obvious. Even from the beginning, the Bible makes the assumption. In the beginning, God, He doesn't have to explain who He is. He's just saying, here I am. There's no apologies. There's no explanation. God is and has always been. And that's just right there from the beginning. The Word itself assumes that it's God's very breath. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work.
God breathed. I see this as God's exhaling. It's necessary tension. Just like that perfect tension that comes from a guitar string. If you over-tighten it, it'll break. If you put it, if you put it too loose, you don't get the proper sound. But if it's perfect, if you get that necessary tension on it, it makes a beautiful sound. And this idea of kingdom tension is this. His kingdom is here. It's now. But yet, it's coming. Daniel Dunlap, I enjoyed the way he wrote this. He said, The church enjoys the alreadiness of the community of the redeemed, but her not-yetness reminds her to uphold her purity through discipline. She must guard against false teachers, immorality, and apostasy. Christians should be dealt with as forgiven sinners, neither above reproach nor wholly incapable of any good. (laughs) This place of tension, once again. The tension of being saved, yet being saved. Therefore, my dear brothers, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'm saved, yet I'm being saved. And notice how he says we're being saved, and he doesn't say we're being saved from love. He's Out of love, he's saying we're being saved out of, with a fear and trembling. Another piece of tension. The last thing is, what I call obscured tension. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. The word here, reflection, is a word that means riddles or speaks in riddles. I'm going to use the Amplified for this scripture just so you can get a better picture. He says, For now in this time of imperfection, we see in a mirror dimly a blurred reflection, a riddle, an enigma. But then when the time of perfection comes, we will see reality face to face. Now I know in part just as in fragments, but then I will know fully just as I have been fully known by God. Wow. See, there's this obscured tension in the midst of all this. There's this mystery of God that I don't understand. There's this place where I say, we just don't know. (laughs) And it's okay. We just don't know at times. But we continue pursuing after God. This morning as we close, I'm going to have us sing this song together, Running After You. And it starts with deep calls to deep. God, that's my prayer for us this morning is that in this place of tension, when we see these places where the Bible, we go, I, don't, I can't make sense of all this, that it would, it would be in that place that we're able to go, I can embrace both of these and understand that it's God in both of them. And I'm beginning to get a bigger picture of who God is because He is incomprehensible. He's larger than I ever thought. And by, Job says that these are just the outskirts, the fringes. We haven't yet seen God. Lord, even in the idea that we're running after you, there's tension. Because the reality is, Lord, only our soul can pursue you. So Lord, this morning, I cry out that we would embrace this tension I'm talking about. We would find that balance in the midst of it, God, that that both ends would be pulling equally and we would see your truth of your word and make it alive in us. And Lord, that we would live out that tension 
loudly before people that they would see that balanced life. God, start with me. God, I, I need you. I know I've obtained, but yet I continue to reach. God, keep us ever reaching. Keep us ever straining towards the goal. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. Seal it in us, Lord. Don't let us leave here and have spiritual amnesia and walk out the door and forget everything we've heard. But Lord, let us put it into practice immediately. We thank you for it in your name. Amen.